0: Welcome to North Main Podcast, a production of North Main Street Church of God in Butler, Pennsylvania. This podcast brings you North Main's messages every week and inspires you to know Christ intimately, grow in Christ continually, and go for Christ daily. I invite you to listen in today as we explore the Bible and learn about its timeless truth for living life God's way. Let's listen to Pastor Brandon as he brings us today's message. Well welcome. I know you lost an hour, but so did I. So I can't promise you how this is going to go this morning. A store manager heard his clerk tell a customer, no ma'am, we haven't had any for a while and it doesn't look like we're going to get any anytime soon. So the store manager was kind of horrified by this and a little bit panic-stricken. He pulled, well, before he pulled the, uh, the, the guy aside to scold him, he ran over and he told the, cor- the customer, of course we'll have some soon. We placed an order last week. When the manager drew the clerk aside to kind of scold him, he says this, never, never, never say we're out of anything. Say we're got, we've got it on order, say it's coming in soon, but don't ever tell them that we don't have it and it doesn't look like we're going to get any anytime soon. So what was it they were asking for? The clerk said, rain. Rain is what the clerk, now I know that's a typical dad joke but deception can get us into some bad places, can it? Lying is not the best policy. What has it always been said? Honesty is the best policy. It's, it's more than a cliche though, right? We started a series on Jacob last week. Jacob's life is riddled with deception, trickery, lies. Even Jacob's name means heel grabber, supplanter, deceiver. How would you like to grow up with a name like that? If your name is Jacob, like I said last week, I'm not trying to give you a bad rap. Um, And I mentioned last week, and I think I could say it this week because I did get permission, but we were sitting around the dinner table not too long ago figuring out what our kids' names meant because they said, Dad, what does my name mean? And we started to look up on the name thing because, honestly, we never— We only looked one of them up, and it was our last. We have four kids. Our seven-year-old, we looked up her name, Raylan, means beautiful lamb. And we were talking about that at the table, and so each of the kids said, well, what's my name? What's my name mean? And so we looked each of the names up, and they're all beautiful names. And uh, then I have a daughter who we love her name. Her name's Cameron. Cameron's right here. And, and I looked up her name on, on one of the Google name searches and I read it, not out loud, but to myself. And I said, no, 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 maybe that's wrong. I'll look on a different name, a different name place. And it said the exact same thing. And uh, it means crooked nose. <laughs> she will have to live with that for the rest of her life. All because mom and dad didn't look up the name before, But we love the name Cameron, and she's a special child. In so many different ways, we love her. As much as we love the other kids, they're all my favorite on different days of the week. <laughs> but last week we learned about Jacob and Esau. They were twin brothers, fraternal twins, because they didn't look a thing alike. And they were born to a husband and wife named Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac, if you remember from the Old Testament stories, was the promised child that God said Abraham and Sarah would have, and that through them, all the nations would not only be blessed, but their nations would grow to the point, that through their descendants, they would grow to the point where they'd be so numerous, they'd be more than the stars in the sky to count. (laughs) But it said last week, when the two boys were born, Esau was born first, and there's a little hand that comes out grabbing onto the heel of Esau. Which is Jacob, which is where he got his name. When they came out, and as they grew, last week we learned that Esau was loved by Isaac and Rebekah loved Jacob. What do you think that means? Isaac loved Esau. It's a verse of scripture in last week's chapter, in chapter 25, where we were looking last week. It said, Isaac loved Esau and Rebecca loved Jacob. You think there's any favoritism going on? Do you think the boys are set up for failure from the start? So last week we learned that because of this ingrown dysfunction, and how many of you have dysfunctional families? It's okay, every one of us have dysfunction at some level. Even if it's not great dysfunction, we all have dysfunction because in Romans 3.23, we're told that all have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. So all of us are dysfunctional at a certain level, right? Until we get Christ in our lives, the dysfunction stays. And sometimes you're tempted back to dysfunction, correct, am I correct? And you have a choice. Am I going to give in to dysfunction and sin, or am I going to stay the straight and narrow path? So Jacob is growing up in this household where his mama loves him, and it doesn't mean his dad doesn't, but it seems as though Isaac kind of favors Esau and vice versa with Rebekah for Jacob. Jacob knows this. He's growing up, but he also knows that there was a prophecy given by God to Rebecca, when she came to the Lord and said, These, my stomach is acting weird, well, my womb. Okay, but you know what I'm talking about. Because it's going crazy. They didn't have sonograms and things back in those days. She didn't know she had two kids in there. But God told her, there are two kids in your stomach. They're going to become two nations. And they will war with each other. But the younger one will rule over the older one. So she's given this this word from God, this promise from God, and Jacob more than likely knows it at this point, but he works last week to trick his brother out of his birthright. And what I told you last week is the firstborn son would get the lion's share of the estate of his father so that when his father died, he would get two thirds of the estate and and, and money and everything. He would also be the head priest of the home, if you will, even though there was a priesthood at the temple or at the tabernacle at the time. But he would be—well, not at the time of Jacob, but after Moses came—but but the male of the home, the head male of the home would be the priest, they would be the, the juror to decide in any case, or the judge to decide in any case within the family. And so that was what came with being the firstborn male of the home. If you're the firstborn female, I apologize, it didn't happen for you. That was a cultural norm of the day. Jacob, being born second— could stand to get a third of the father's estate, not two-thirds of the father's estate. And if there were any other sons after Jacob, which we aren't told, but it's possible, then that one-third would have to be divided evenly among the rest of the brothers. So the firstborn son would get two-thirds of dad's estate. The rest of the third of the estate would go to all the other brothers divided evenly. So Jacob knows this. And Jacob says, Huh. I know that God told my mom that I was going to rule over my brother someday. This must be how it's going to be. So Esau comes in from hunting one day. He didn't catch a thing, but he smells Jacob's stew cooking in the kitchen. And he's like, oh, my gosh, that smells amazing. Give it to me. I'm about to die. And when our stomachs rule us, we oftentimes give in to the baser instincts that cause us to do things we shouldn't do. When the inside emotions and feelings and desires rule over us, instead of us keeping control over them, we could go down certain paths. And so Esau says, give me some of that stew. It smells great. And his brother says, huh, you like my stew? Give me your birthright first. What? I'm not gonna argue with you about my birthright. Just give me a bowl of soup, dude. I added the dude part, it's not in there. And Esau's like, what is my birthright to me? Dad's still young, we're still young. They're probably in their late teens, mid-teens to late teens. Why do I care about my birthright right now? I just care about getting something to eat, fine. Swear to me an oath and I'll give you a bowl of soup. Uh, okay whatever I swear to you an oath And and Esau swears an oath to Jacob and gives up his birthright and in the last verse we're told that Esau despised basically his birth order or his birthright in that one action today we come upon another scheme and another lie Angelo and John Turi um, in an article about lying, begin by asking the question, what is a lie? And, and I'm not just saying a white lie or a big lie. What is a lie, period? Those categorize any Even if you're telling a partial truth, but there's a little bit of a twist in it, that's considered a lie. So let's put them all in the same playing field. A lie is a lie, regardless if there's partial truth in it. And that's what I tell my kids, partial truth is still a lie. If you withhold a part of the story that's crucial to relaying the truth, even though what you're telling me is true, it's still a lie. It's called deception, and deception is lying. So what is a lie? In regard to their definition, the standard view in social science and philosophy is that a lie is a dishonest assertion a dishonest assertion. You lie if you say something which you think is false in order to deceive your audience into believing it. And lying does not require your assertion to be objectively false, only that you believe that it is false. This has long been the standard view in philosophy and social sciences. So let's get into the story today. We're in chapter 27, and I'm gonna read right through this. There are a lot of verses, and I know, again, I've told you this before. If my homiletics professor, which is my preaching professor from my undergrad and my graduate studies in ministry, knew that I was reading 41 verses, I would get failed on the spot today. All right? Because you're only supposed to take three or four verses and extrapolate the truth from the context. But I want you to get the full context of what's happening here. So in verse 1, one day when Isaac was old and turning blind, how many of you have ever had cataracts? Okay? More than likely, this is what was going on with Isaac. They didn't have the technology of the day to remove the cataracts, and you know how foggy and glazed over things get when you have cataracts, or when you're going, if you will, blind in those days. This is what was happening. He couldn't see. It was getting so bad to the point where he couldn't see a thing. He called for Esau, his older son, and said, my son. Yes, my father, Esau replied, or I said it last week, because he seemed like the big hunter type. Yes, my father. <laughs> you know, <clears throat> I'm an old man now, Isaac said, and I don't, know when I, uh, I don't know when I may die. So, all right, stop for a second. Isaac is not sick yet. He's just getting older. And any minute he could die or he could live on for decades, we just don't know. But there's a point in life you get to where you say, I'm getting pretty old. I might die. I should probably make out my will now. And this is what he's doing. I'm getting pretty close to death. I'm all right right now, but who knows tomorrow I could die. Take your bow and your quiver full of arrows and go out into the open country and hunt some wild game for me. Prepare my favorite dish and bring it here for me to eat. And then I'll pronounce the blessing that belongs to you, my firstborn son, before I die. But Rebekah overheard what Isaac had said to his son Esau. She had one of those, uh, like a glass (laughs) up against the door. No, okay, we don't know. She overheard what was happening. And she said to her son Jacob, listen, I overheard your father say to Esau. Now, who loves who? Isaac loves Esau. Rebecca loves Jacob. We see this playing out in a very tangible way right here. I overheard your father say to Esau, bring me some wild game and prepare me a delicious meal. Then I will bless you in the Lord's presence before I die. Now, my son, listen to me. Do exactly as I tell you. Go out to the flocks and bring me two fine young goats. I'll use them to prepare your father's favorite dish. And then take the food to your father so he can eat it and bless you before he dies. Because she knows he's blind as a bat. He's not going to be able to tell if it's Jacob or Esau coming in there. But look, Jacob replied, my my brother Esau's a hairy man and I have very smooth skin. (laughs) You can't make this stuff up. (laughs) I'm not kidding. I'm I'm as uh, smooth as a hairless cat, mama. (laughs) That's not what he said, but it was pretty darn close. (laughs) What if my father touches me? He'll see that I'm tricking him and then he'll curse me instead of blessing me. But his mother replied, "'Then let the curse fall on me, my son. "'Just do what I tell you. "'Go out and get the goats for me.' "'So Jacob went out. "'He got the young goats for his mother. "'Rebekah took them. "'She prepared a delicious meal, "'just as Isaac liked it. "'And then she took Esau's favorite clothes, "'which were in the house. "'And I'm guessing pretty much swallowed Jacob "'cause I'm assuming Jacob is a relatively thin guy, "'smooth skin, very handsome.' I don't really know. I'm not sure. Took off Esau's favorite clothes, which were in the house, and gave them to her younger son Jacob. She covered his arms and the smooth part of his neck with the skin of the young goats that she had basically just prepared for the meal so that he could have some hair on his arms. And then she gave Jacob the del- delicious meal, including freshly baked bread. How many of you love the smell? of bread baking in the house. Side note, Esau was corrupted by the hunger of his stomach to give away his birthright. Who else is corrupted by the hunger of his stomach in this narrative? So Jacob took the food to his father. My father, he said, yes, my son, Isaac answered who are you Esau or Jacob Jacob, repl- Jacob replied it's Esau your firstborn son I've done as you told me here's the wild game now sit up and eat so I can give so you can give me your blessing Isaac asked um how did you find it so quickly my son you've not been gone that long I just sent you out a little bit ago. You, you mean you found something already, and you've cooked it up for me? The Lord your God put it in my path. Pause. The Lord, who's God? <laughs> Isn't it funny when we're in the midst of sin that we push ourselves so far away of relating to God? the Lord your God put it in my path Jacob replied not the Lord my God because Jacob wasn't in this for God he was in this for Jacob then Isaac said to Jacob come closer so I can touch you and make sure that you're really Esau Isaac isn't stupid he's just blind and he knows it's not the voice of Esau it sounds like somebody else More more than likely it's this son Jacob So Jacob went closer to his father and Isaac touched him the voice is Jacob's but the hands are Esau's Isaac said because he's touching the goat skin and hair on his arms but he didn't recognize Jacob because Jacob's hand felt like felt hairy just like Esau so so Isaac prepared to bless Jacob but are you <laughs> wait a minute are you really my son Esau "'Yes, I am,' Jacob replied. "'Then Isaac said, "'Now, my son, bring me the wild game, "'let me eat it, "'and then I will give you my blessing.' "'So Jacob took the food to his father. "'Isaac ate it. "'He also drank the wine and gave Jacob "'that Jacob gave or served him. "'Then Isaac said to Jacob, "'Please come a little closer and kiss me, my son.' "'Still not convinced yet. "'Come a little closer and give me a kiss.' So Jacob went over and kissed him. And then Isaac caught smell of his clothes. Whose clothes did he have on? Esau's. He was finally convinced. And so he blessed his son. Ah, the smell of my son is like the smell of the outdoors, which the Lord has blessed. And here's the blessing. From the dew of heaven and the richness of the earth, may God always give you abundant harvests of grain. And a bountiful, and bountiful new wine. May, may many nations become your servants. And, and may they bow down to you. May you be master over your brothers. May your mother's sons bow down to you. All who curse you will be cursed. And all you who bless you will be blessed. As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and almost before Jacob had left his father, Esau returned from his hunt. Esau prepared the delicious meal and brought it to his father, and he said, "'Sit up, Father, and eat my wild game so you can give me your blessing.'" But Isaac said, "'Who are you?' Esau replied, "'It's your son, your firstborn son, Esau.'" And Isaac began to tremble uncontrollably and said, "'Then who just served me wild game? I've already eaten it, and I've already blessed him before you came.'" And yes, that blessing must stand. When Esau heard his father's words, he let out a bitter cry. Oh, father, what about me? Bless me too. This isn't fair. But Isaac said, your brother was here and tricked me. He's taken away your blessing. Esau exclaimed, no wonder his name is Jacob deceiver, heel grabber. For now he's cheated me twice. First he took my rights as the firstborn and now he's stolen my blessing. Haven't you even saved one blessing for me? Isaac said to Esau, I've made Jacob your master and have declared that all his brothers will be his servants. I've guaranteed him an abundance of grain and wine. What's left for me to give you, my son? What more, what more can I do? I've given him everything. Esau pleaded, but do you only have one blessing? Oh, Father, bless me too. Then Esau broke down and wept. Finally, his father Isaac said to him, you will live away from the richness of the earth and away from the dew of heaven above you will live by the sword, and you will serve your brother. But when you decide to break free, you will shake his yoke from your neck. From that time on, Esau hated Jacob because her father had given Jacob the blessing. And Esau began to scheme, I will soon be mourning my father's death, and then I'll kill my brother Jacob. What's the phrase that sums up this whole passage this morning? Demanding our own way ultimately hurts the ones we love the most. Lying, deceiving, ultimately doesn't just hurt us or perfect strangers. It hurts the ones we love the most. Lying from the early days of childhood to we take our last breath will ultimately end in destruction of the closest relationships we had, have, and have had but most importantly, our relationship to God. Because here's the truth of the matter. God sees everything, he knows everything. There's no way we can deceive or lie to him. How does deception and demanding our way, our own way hurt the ones we love? Well, how did it hurt in this situation? Well, first off, Jacob lied to his father. <coughs> how many of you have lied to your, to your dad before? Some of you are like, he's here right now. I really can't, I don't wanna raise my hand. If you haven't, God bless you, you're among the many few that have never lied to your dad. My, my responsibility, my role as a kid, when I came home from school, as a latchkey kid. That's what they call kids that come home for a few hours before mom and dad get home. And I did that from age 11 on. <clears throat> we lived down on a lake, which was a, a very deep lake and a very long lake, not very wide. But uh, my responsibility was to let out the boat dock and bring it in because the lake was so deep it didn't stand on on, uh, rods or metal beams. It actually was floated on styrofoam or barrels. And so my job is to come home and make sure to check the dock because the water levels fluctuated because at the end of the lake was a, uh, a hydropower plant, so they would constantly be sucking water through to generate electricity for the community, blah, blah, blah. And so it was constantly in fluctuation. we get heavy rains, the, the waters would rise, the boat dock would kind of float out in the middle of the lake, and I'd have to crank it in. On windy days, with my strong, muscular <laughs> 13-year-old body, Um, working against the wind and the waves, trying to crank the thing in. I couldn't do it. And so when my dad would come in, did you check the boat dock today? My answer was always, you betcha. (laughs) And he could tell how tight the, the, the cables were and how the gangplank that connected the dock to the bank was way up high or just floating out in the water. He said, no, you didn't. Yeah, I did, I promise, I promise I did. And I would get punished. See, lying to your father is not a good thing. I promise you. Whether or not your father's a good father or a bad father, lying is never warranted. Let's remember last week's message. What did Rebecca do? What what do we remember? Rebecca was concerned about the crazy activity happening in her womb. She consulted the Lord. The Lord said, you have two sons in your stomach. They're going to become great nations, but the older will serve the younger. What did he say? The older will serve the younger. We come to this stage. What is Rebecca doing? What is she doing? In today's passage in verse 27, the boys are older, young adults at this stage. Rebecca overhears Isaac telling Esau that he's going to give him the blessing. Well, wait a minute. God said when the boys were in my womb that it wasn't going to be the older one that was being served by the younger, but the older, the older one was going to serve the younger one. I've got to move. I've got to act. I've got to act. And so what does Rebecca do? Jacob, come here. I overheard your, your brother and your dad talking. He's going to give him the blessing. But I was, he, she, she doesn't say this, but she knows that God had promised her that the younger one would be the one who ruled. The younger one was going to be the blessed one, but she takes matters into her own hands. How many of you have ever done that? You know the right thing to do. You know what's supposed to happen, but then you just step in and you say, well, it looks like all hope is lost. I've got to do something. And so we become reactive in the moment. And what happens when we become reactive most of the time? We end up suffering more loss and more hurt and more dysfunction. Rebecca schemes and plans and Jacob comes in on the scheme and the plans, knowing what God has promised and not trusting God to make it happen in his time and in his way. So they scheme and they plot to the point that they're willing to lie to the patriarch of the family, Isaac, to whom the promise has been given through Abraham that his descendants will become greater and more numerous than the stars in the sky. Let's go back to Abraham. Abraham tricks two people into believing that his wife is really his sister so that he could save his hind end, Pharaoh. Pharaoh looks at Abraham and Sarah. <clears throat> Abraham says, oh, yes, yeah, she's my sister because he's afraid that if they know that she's his wife, they're going to kill him and take her as, his wife, as their wife. Abimelech the same way. Do you not trust God to protect you in the most heated of moments when God has promised you something? Or do you think that you need to take initiative and do things your own way to make sure things happen the way God said they would? See, there's an active waiting that I mentioned last week, and there's a passive waiting. We haven't been called to passively wait and sit on our haunches until God moves, but we have been called to actively wait and in the meantime continue to do what we know we should be doing until God moves and says, all right, I want you to step into this now. That's what they did in the Old Testament under Moses when they set up the tabernacle in the wilderness. How did they know when to move? Well, in the Old Testament, God's presence was a holy fire that would, be, that would rest in a certain area over where the tabernacle should be. And when that holy fire or that pillar of smoke moved is when the Israelites would pack up everything and move. Today, we think we have to manufacture a move of God. And this is why we miss God all the time as a church in our culture. We want to go out and pick it. We want to go out and do this. And God's never said, go do any of that stuff. God says, I need you to be light and I need you to be salt. I don't need you to be a word of condemnation. Amen. And so we act on behalf of God when God's not called us to act in those ways. This is what happened with Jacob. Jacob. God told Rebekah, this is what's gonna happen. And instead of waiting upon the Lord to do it, what would have happened if Isaac had truly been able to give the birthright and the blessing to Esau? Would that have thwarted God's plans? No! The words of men pale in comparison to the words of God. And that should rock us to the very core. But I fear that it doesn't. I fear that we think we have to manufacture a move of God to do what we want him to do when we want him to do it. And when it doesn't happen that way, we get ticked off and we start to curse God and we get angry at God and we shake our fist at God. Why? Because he's not doing things the way we would do them. And so in order to get what we want, we lie, we scheme, we, we don't do things the way God would do them. Jacob also became estranged to his brother. What does estrangement mean? It means living separate from, fleeing from. How, are you estranged from anybody in your life? Tougher question. Are you estranged from family members? Is there anyone in your life, in your family, that you're estranged from? And the question would be, why? And I know you're already justifying in your mind, well, it's because of them. It's because of what they did. It's because of this, and it's because of that. And that other person is saying the same things about you. Paul tells us, as much as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. That includes your family. But when we lie, when we do things that aren't quite right it can cause estrangement when others do things to us it can cause estrangement sibling rivalry is one thing but complete estrangement is another Jacob's continual conceit and deception toward his brother not only showed contempt for him as a person but diminished the value of the family bonds in the process in this case the case of Esau or stealing Esau's blessing from his father, Jacob pressed Esau beyond his limits. It was the straw that broke the camel's back, if you will. In sheer anger and rage, Esau determined at this point, I'm done with him. I hate him so much. You just wait till dad dies. I don't know when that is, but he's gonna die. And when he dies, so will Jacob. Instead of allowing God to fulfill his purposes through Jacob, Isaac and Esau, Jacob and Rebekah did the unthinkable. What kind of dysfunction within relationships has to exist for this to be the norm? And I know some of you can probably relate to this story. And so, instead of perpetuating the ongoing struggle and dysfunction we have a place within our role and within our belief as followers of Christ if you are one to stop that we can break the cycle of dysfunction and not allow that to carry on generation after generation but you look what happened with Abraham and Isaac or Abraham and Sarah he lied about his wife being his sister to people so he could save his butt what did Isaac do? The same thing. Read Isaac's story. And what we read in Isaac's story is that he lied to another ruler about Rebekah being his sister when she was actually his wife. And now Jacob comes up on the scene, third generation. And what's he doing? He's not just lying about a wife being his sister. We're going to get to the wife thing next week. He's not just doing that. He's like, I'm going to lie and cheat and steal as much as I can because that's most important to me, to get what I want when I want it. When are you going to break the cycle? And here's another interesting point. God continued to work through that. Some of you think you've gotten to the point in your life where you've so royally messed things up, that you are so far from God that he can't use you anymore and you're sitting and wallowing in self-pity and self-loathing and frustration, you believe the lie that all you is is a liar and a cheat and one who steals. You've become defined by the strongholds in your life instead of allowing God to define you as a child of God. And he says, listen, you have not gone too far that I can't save you. You just need to walk toward me. I've done everything I can do for you, except forcing myself on you. I've forgiven of sins, all you have to do is receive it so you can become a child of God. Don't be defined by your addiction. Don't be defined by your broken relationships. Don't be defined by the divorce that you've gone through. Don't be defined by any of that because the God who can redeem, will redeem when you surrender. But until you're ready to surrender, it can never happen. You mean I have that much power and control? Yes, because God loves you, he won't force himself on you. He says, I willingly have done this, and I welcome you into my presence. I'm calling you, I need you to hear me. What's it gonna take for you to say, I'm done believing the lies of the enemy on my life. I'm done weaving a tangled web of destruction in my own life. And I'm ready to give it all up. No more struggling against God. I want to wrestle with God, as we'll find out that Jacob did in a few weeks. But I wanna wrestle with God to get a blessing from him rather than the accolades of men and women. Finally, Jacob never saw his mother again. Did you know that? We aren't told in the Bible when Rebecca dies. But we do know by scholarly resources and basically the timelines in Scripture that Jacob and Esau come back together. They're reconciled. They're reconciled to the point to where they are able to bury their father Isaac together in Genesis chapter 35. But Rebekah is nowhere to be found. And in the 20 years absence, as Rebekah says, go off and live with my brother Laban until Esau cools off. That was the, the closing part of this. If you read down beyond in that same chapter, Genesis 27, as the plot continued to thicken, Rebecca says, Listen, your brother Esau's pretty ticked off. I know it. Go to my brother Laban's. He's away off in this area over here. You bed down over there. He'll accept you into his home. And when he does, you stay there until your brother cools off. Well, we know that the timeline goes two decades past and he doesn't get back home. Deceit, deception, lying doing things our own own way can separate us from the ones we love the most to the point we may never see them again, this side of heaven. Rebecca couldn't have known that. Jacob couldn't have fathomed that. Rebecca loved Jacob. Jacob's life of deceit And lying left this wake of broken relationships and pain that would ultimately catch up with him. But the one significant relationship in his life, at least on earth at that point, was gone. Austin O'Malley, who's an ophthalmologist and professor of English literature at University of Notre Dame, writes this, A lie has no legs. It requires other lies to support it. Tell one lie, and you're forced to tell others to back it up. Stretching the truth won't make it last any longer. Those who think it permissible to tell white lies soon grow colorblind. Lies and deception only hurt us. They don't only hurt us. They hurt the ones around us. You may be even lying to yourself right now. You're believing the lies of the enemy on the insecurities. Every one of us have insecurities. Some of us have overcome some insecurities. Some of us may have worked through our insecurities and are living true freedom in Christ Jesus who has set us free. And if the Son has set you free, what are you? You're free indeed. But some of you who say you're living in Christ are still living in bondage to the insecurities that have ruled your life from whenever in the past because they've been so deeply rooted and you've lied to yourself and you believe the lies about yourself by the enemy who seeks to steal, kill, and destroy that's telling you you're, you're stupid, you're an idiot, <clears throat> you're not good enough, you'll only amount to jack crap, you'll only be this, you'll only be that, and you give in to the lies and you begin to believe those about yourself. Who is the greatest deceiver on the face of the earth? Who is the father of all lies? Satan. We call him the devil. The enemy. The adversary. What does he do well at? What is, he, what is his doctorate degree in? Lies and deception. He's a master at this. And if he can get you thinking things about yourself and about others that aren't true, then he's got you where he wants you. But God, but God, he came in Jesus to give us abundant life. There is no abundant life in lies and deception. Jesus, in John 14, verse 6, talking to his disciples, says, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. You can't come to me by lies and deception and dishonesty. You can't cheat your way into heaven. You can't cheat your brother out of a birthright. You can't cheat your father out of the blessing and think you're going to be closer to me. I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except by me. And so if we're coming to the Father, we have to come to him by way of life because he is life, not death. We have to come by his way, not the way we think we should go, not the way we're told by other people we should go, but by his way. And what is his way? His way is always the truth. And our culture hates the truth. We are fighting so hard against the truth in our culture that we're believing the lies, even within the church. And we think God's gonna bless. God will never bless a lie. And if you're sitting there beating yourself up or beating God up saying, God, What more can I do? But you're believing the lies of the enemy on you or you're believing the lies of the enemy about other people. You think God's gonna bless that? You think God's gonna reveal anything great to you? God's saying, when are you gonna believe me and what I say about things? When are you gonna believe my word and what it says? When are you gonna live into the truth of that? When are you going to find me when you seek me with all your heart? Because that's the only way. And so we wait. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings, and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. In closing with this, John the Apostle, who wrote 1 John, which we looked at, in January in chapter one says this this is the message we heard from Jesus and now declare to you God is light and there is no darkness in him so we are lying if we say we have fellowship with God but go on living in spiritual darkness we're not practicing truth if we continue to do things that are against what God teaches But if we are living in the light as God is in the light, then we have fellowship with each other through the blood of Jesus Christ, who cleanses us from all sin. If we claim we have no sin, then we're only fooling ourselves and not living in the truth. But if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness or all wickedness. If we claim we have not sinned, we are calling God a liar and showing that his word has no place in our hearts. I don't know where you are today, but as our worship team comes forward to close us out this morning, are you living a lie? Are you fighting tooth and nail to get what you want, how you want it, when you want it? are you believing a lie and holding tightly to something about yourself that is not true? And maybe something is true about you. Maybe, yes, you've sinned and you've fallen short of the glory of God, but you need to make a step of confession so that you can be set free from that stronghold. And all you have to do, you don't have to jump through hoops. There's not a class you have to take. There's not some kind of great mystery behind this other than the fact that Jesus says, come to me, all you are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I'm meek and humble at heart, God says about himself, and you'll find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And some of you are carrying burdens that have weighed you down to the point of breaking your back, that you can't even lift up your head in confidence in a crowd. Not because you're bashful or shy, but because you carry the weight of sin. All because you believe the lie that you are not worth redeeming. But if the sun sets you free, you're free indeed. Thanks for joining us this week. Check back next week as we dig deeper and go further in our understanding of God's Word. Make sure to visit us on our website at www.northmaincog.org where you can learn more about us. While you're at it, go ahead and subscribe to our podcast. And if you found value in today's message, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, that'd be helpful too. If you'd like to donate to the ongoing ministry of North Maine, go to www.northmaincog.org and click on the Give tab at the top of the screen. Again, thanks for listening. We look forward to you joining us again next week.